Welcome to the I Am In podcast. This semester, the Boise Nampa Institute will interview members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We will hear stories from their personal lives, examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them. We hope you will join us each week to strengthen your faith in the Savior and gain hope for the future. Welcome back to the I Am In podcast. Today, AJ Atkinson, one of my Institute Student Council members, has chosen someone to interview, and I'm going to let you do the introduction today. All right. So this is Ron Zabel. Uh, Sister Bert uh, asked the council uh, to think of somebody who has had an influence in our lives and who has put Christ first in their life, and uh, Ron was the first one that came to my mind. Ron has been a huge influence for me, especially growing up out in Parma. He, was always there with me in the young men's and uh, I know there's lots of things that would be different in my life if Ron wasn't there. That's the magic of growing up in the church, right? The different advisors and people who enter our lives and change us for better. Okay, share with us a little bit of your background. Uh, well, I'm 52. I don't know if I'm supposed to say my age, but uh, <laughs> I, I actually grew up in CUNA. Um, we have five, five people in our, or five kids in our family and uh, I fell right in the middle. Uh, loved going to CUNA, went to church in Melba, and uh, from there, had lots of experiences in my life that have shaped me for who I am, mostly my parents, I would say, and watching them uh, throughout their lives uh, serve, and uh, live in Parma now, where I had the awesome privilege of being AJ's bishop, and uh, I don't remember if I sent him on the mission or not, but I was pretty close, close. but uh, also was his scoutmaster. Yep. And that was always fun and uh, just excited to be here and excited to share my testimony today. So grateful to have you. Um, I know we don't have the scouting program anymore, but maybe each of you just take a minute to talk about what that did for you as a young man and for you as a leader, um, because our young men don't have this program anymore. But there were some wonderful things that scouting did to prepare us for missions and for life. Do you have a favorite moment during your scout years? Oh, there's too many to count. <laughs> there's a lot. I know... Especially when I was a deacon's quorum, we had to camp out once a month. And I know, like, that really brought me and my friends really close together. Like, I had a really special group of, of, of friends growing up. We were, uh, I don't know, we are just, just a bunch of really good guys. And then uh, just being able to spend lots of time together really strengthened our relationship. And I think it helped uh, keep us together and good throughout, like, all of high school. Um, if I had to choose one favorite scouting moment um i think probably it's probably one of the last scout camps i went to we went up to lost lake and uh, i was one of the older guys so i didn't have to do any of the merit badges so that was nice but i don't know we just kind of hung out and had fun and uh definitely one of the most memorable things just being out with uh with all my friends and uh I don't know, just doing guy stuff. I don't know. <laughs> well, the unity, right? Yeah. The oh, unity, for sure. Very much so. And and the, the fun ones I remember was our winter campouts because a lot of these guys were kind of wimps. And <laughs> Those uh, were not the best ones. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, they were for me because it was fun watching them, how many were not prepared in the scouting program. and But the fun and the love that they brought to us as leaders also and how they really brought Christ into the scouting program back then. Um, that was something that was very important to uh, 
me and the, the, the other scout masters that we had. And oh, I, I can't hardly remember. We have so many scout trips, I don't even know where to start with that. But uh, it was a great group of young men that he was with. And uh, I think almost all of them went on a mission. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it kind of funny. Even like, I don't know if this is important or not, but like even <laughs> like our, we had a kind of like a group of friends and then like our non-member friends that were part of it. And even like our non-member friends went on missions. Wow. Like everybody yes. in their respective churches, yeah, which was cool. But pretty much everybody went on a mission. I don't know how many people that weren't members of the church would come on our campouts. Oh yeah, we had a ton. And super fun. on Wednesday nights, because we just loved it, and we said, "Bring them." You were gathering Israel before oh. gathering Israel was a thing. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it wasn't me. It it was our young men, and I mean, I still have great connections with these young men that aren't even members of the of the church now, and. I, I think we planted that seed, though. Mm-hmm. And as we plant that seed, hopefully one of these days that seed will continue to grow. That's so but, awesome. But planting that seed is. If you could share some advice to current young men advisors who are n- no longer having the scout program but are trying to find ways to engage our young men, what worked for you and what would you share with them? Honestly, what he just said, campouts. I don't think they do that as much as they used to. And that is where you get them away from their elements. Um, but you got to take them far enough away that the phone doesn't work. And when you pull them from that element, they have to rely on each other. And then they become better friends. And then you have to just give in a little bit of gospel, um, a little bit of our Savior, to where you're starting to mold them. Um, but not necessarily mold them, but let them start gaining their own testimonies. Give them a little taste of something and let them chew on it for a minute. And yes. And provide another. And- yeah. I, I always said you can't, you can't give babies steak. You got to give them baby food before you can give them steak, and I think that's how all of us are in the gospel. That's how I was, and that's how we become converted, one little yep. step at a time. Jump back to high school and tell us where you met your wife. Uh, so in high school, um, through the FFA program, both of us were in it. She grew up in Meridian. I grew up in Cuna, and uh, we, we had a softball game. And I met her the first time through FFA at a softball game when Cuna played Meridian. And I kind of flirted with her, and she was the catcher. So every time I'd come up to bat, I would flirt with this girl. Never knew who she was. Um, and then all of a sudden, we had a, um, oh, it was a, a party. My ward had 14 priests. Their their laurels group in Star Eagle area had 14 laurels, and we got together for uh, one of those dinners. What do they call them? A, a progressive, progressive dinner. A progressive dinner. <laughs> And at that time, it was awesome because, I mean, these were all new young ladies. And all of us, I mean, we got phone numbers and everything. And and my wife and I started dating after that a little bit. Um, and we just became really good friends. Um, I took her to prom my senior year. Um, and we always remained friends. We wrote while I was on my mission. And uh, we were just great friends. And now you have a unique mission uh, start because most people in your day, waited till they were 19 to go on a mission, but you were able to get your mission call because you were a little older for your class in high school, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I hate to say I was held back in first grade because I didn't go to kindergarten. <laughs> so I say I just went to kindergarten, then went to first grade, but it was first grade twice. And so that put me when I graduated, I had just turned, actually, I graduated the next week, I turned 19. And so at the beginning of May before graduation, I had received my mission call. And uh, I was excited because I was going on my mission. All my friends were going to school because a lot of them had to wait a year. And uh, I ended up 
getting a call to to the Lisbon, Portugal uh, South mission. And tell us a little bit, a highlight of your mission. Um, so. There's so much to say. <laughs> there is so much to say about a mission, especially I, I feel my mission. Um, I went to Portugal. Um, I had a little hard time getting my visa. Went to Atlanta, Georgia first for two weeks. Scared me to death. But I ended up in Portugal. Loved the area. Loved the people. And uh, about six months in, um, there was four of us elders that were, uh, I guess, I want to say picked. But I think the, the Lord has, has his hands in all things. And there was four of us that were asked to go and to continue the gospel in some African islands called Cabo Verde. Uh, it's a group of 10 islands off the coast of uh, uh, Senegal. And um, I still, it, it took us about a month to get our visas and everything to go down there. Um, I still remember the day we flew in at night, so it was pitch dark. And the next morning, they took us to the church houses where we were going to live. And the next day, I remember walking out that door and thinking, I am not in Kansas anymore or Idaho <laughs> or America. And it, it about took my breath away. And I learned to love those people. Um, it, it, it was a very unique mission. There had been missionaries there about a year and a half before us, two of them. And then there was us that came in about a year and a half later, uh, 1991, um, we went in. 1990. 1990, we went in. I'm getting old now. Uh, 1990, we went in, and they had told us that we needed to uh, try to get the church legalized. And so we, all three, or all four of us had three-month visas again. And we started every day um, with prayer and fasting that, that we would know the route to take to do this, to get the church legalized. And as we did that... Um, we saw many miracles and many blessings. Um, the first three months, roughly, we were there, or the first two months we were there, almost every morning people would walk into our church and we would teach discussions every day. And uh, it, it was, we baptized quite a few people and saw many come into the Savior through the baptisms of water. Um, what a dream to sit in a church building and they walk into you. <laughs> You're like, next, uh, was, next. next. Everybody's dream just like, if, knock if, on your door and be like, yo. And it was, and the neat thing of it, but then we ran out of Book of Mormons. Wow. And back then it was hard to get Book of Mormons mm -hmm. back. Um, but so fun too. Um, but I, I guess I want to talk about the, the Lord's hand in all things. Um, we were getting down to about two and a half months. So in about 15, 20 days, we knew that we were they were going to ask us to leave this country. And we had been going up in the afternoons and we had to get everybody's social security card number and their picture and ID so we could put it on this so we could get legalized. We had to have, I think it was 1,500 names, which doesn't sound like a lot. That's a lot. But it's a ton, especially when you have to have their, their social security number, more or less. And uh, my companion was senior companion of the group and kind of our district zone leader. And uh, we would go into where they issued... The, uh, at the State Department where they would issue our visas. And we were told no over and over. We went in, I think, three times. And the guy, they would meet with us, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, we're going to let you exit, and we'll be good. But, I mean, we were baptizing people. There was, there was a great branch there of Latter-day Saints, and some that had been previous from the, the missionaries before us. And I remember very distinctively, 
that, I mean, we fasted and prayed one Sunday and said, Lord, we need your help now. We're putting it in your hands. Please help us to get our church legalized so we can stay here. And I think it was on a Tuesday, if I remember right, we went in to this building. And the guy that always told us no was sick. And the guy says, well, just wait a minute. I'll, I'll go get another guy that can do it since you guys are asking and we don't know what happened. And they take us to this back room and we have all four of our passports. And the guy comes in, he goes, and I still remember this because I, I, my heart just jumped with joy. The guy comes in, he goes, elders! And he knew us. So the place that we'd always go to get our hair cut, it was, it was our barber's brother that loved us. And we spent time <laughs> at the barber shop. And he came in, he goes, what can I help you with? And we go, well, can we get three-month visas? He goes, well, is that all you want? And we said, uh, no, how about six-month? He goes, sure. And he put the stickers on there and stamped it on on all four. And it gave us enough time that by the time we were out, I was there for about nine and a half months before they, I went back to Portugal. Um, but it gave us enough time to get the church legalized. And then they couldn't kick you, kick you out because you had a legalized uh, church there. Interesting how the Lord works in the background. That's so fantastic. So so many times there, too. I mean, and that's just, that's a sliver of things that we had that were so great there. Um, In 2000, I want to say either 18 or 19, they, uh, the prophet announced a temple, and now it is open. And I see pictures all the time of these families that are going now and getting baptisms, that are going in, taking their endowments out and being sealed as families. And I mean, in, in 1990, in this, could you even envision never, that this was going to be the never. case? Never. Like two stakes. Um, wow. It's 10 islands. All of them have the church on them. And it, my love for these people. Um, and then I go back to Portugal, and I have love for those people. But it, it was awesome. Um, yeah. What a unique experience. We could spend a whole other podcast just on the mission. <laughs> and I have lots of stories. but Well, and, and let's just maybe testify in this moment also about your mission too, but when you serve the Lord, he creates something in you that you couldn't do somewhere else. A mission teaches you about everything, how to work with people and governments and, and teach and manage time and manage money. And it's incredible the things that you're able to do when you work for the Lord. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, uh, no matter what the Lord will provide a way for to, to make it so you can get whatever needs to be done, done in, he can, he's part of the Red Sea before, and he'll do it again for you if, it, if it's necessary. Share briefly your experience uh, in Argentina. <laughs> just, just just sum that up real quick. Okay. Um, pretty much when COVID happened, they uh, put everything, they closed everything down martial law style, and so it was illegal for anybody to get out. And so basically they said, we're going to sneak you out of the country. So they said, uh, <clears throat> be at the stake center at this time. And so we get to the stake center, and... Uh, somebody finds out and they call the police and whatnot and they try to keep us from going home and so they said all right we're just gonna everybody get on the bus and go we're just gonna leave your all your stuff we'll figure out how to get it to you later and um uh they let us go and we finally got to the airport and they're like hey if you left your uh bags back at the stake center they're here and so it's like well somehow in a time where nobody was supposed to be out the only people on the road were people running food they found a way to get like 60 suitcases four hours from one town to another and I, it was a huge miracle because i remember on the bus right now i was like 
how am I going to explain to my mom that I left everything and then they're going to re-sign us and I'm not going to have any white shirts or anything? I don't know how that's going to work, but it, it, it made it work. I just think there were so many angels on errand during that time when missionaries were moving home so quickly during the pandemic. And your story is one of thousands. But I love, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bishop, jump back to you come home from your mission. You took so long to get engaged. <laughs> I, I did. I came home and I, I always laugh because I came home and I says, okay, I am not going to kiss a girl for a whole year. That was in my head. Why, I don't know. Um, maybe because I liked girls. They were cute, you know. And the next day I got home from my mission and I'm going to say we went to the Western Idaho Fair. And my little sister was showing, and all of a sudden, this cute girl shows up that just got home from college that I had dated in high school and uh, looked at her, and I thought, we better go out tonight. <laughs> and so I started dating, and uh, I think we went to the next—we were together like four nights in a row, and uh, went to the Caldwell Night Rodeo, and uh, long story short, I think I kissed her probably in a week. <laughs> Um, in about two and a half, three weeks, we were engaged. We put it out until like June and then moved it up to May and then moved it up to April. And we finally says, why are we going to wait this long? And we moved it to de December 27th because that was the only day that the temple was open. So I got, I got home like August 15th and I got married in December. Wow, that's <laughs> and, so great. And wouldn't change a thing. I've loved every minute of it. Well, you have a wonderful marriage. So many of these young adults admire you and the ones who are currently in your ward. Um, what has been a struggle that the Lord's pulled you through in your marriage? Told you I didn't want to cry, remember? Um, hope I don't get in trouble for this. But uh, in 2020, right before COVID, I was doing my YSA. I was on the high council and it was the 5th of January. And I got a phone call. My wife says, I need you to come home now. And I said, okay, what's wrong? She goes, I'm sick. And so I turned around and I was almost to the church um, in Ontario, turned around and ran back, grabbed my wife. We took her to the hospital and uh, it was kind of a whirlwind, called my nephew. He came in, we gave her a blessing. And... Uh, all of a sudden, they says, well, we're going to ship your wife to, to Nampa. She needs a big hospital. We ended up in Nampa, and my wife ended up having a um, pancreatitis. And she had a pseudocyst about the size of a small basketball. And she was in the hospital for a month. And uh, then she was out, then back in for a week, and then out, then back in. And during that whole year, many times in and out of the hospital. Um, very sick times I thought I was going to lose her, but the Lord's hand in all things. Um, one, one time we had her in Nampa and they needed to transport her to downtown Boise to St. Luke's at downtown. And uh, she had flowers and stuff. I mean, people loved her. I love her. And she had all kinds of stuff that was in this room. And they says, well, we're taking her in five minutes. And I'm looking at all this stuff and my wife's praying inside. She tells me later. She goes, I need an angel, Lord, to help. And, uh, see? <laughs> we have some good friends out there that was my stake president. Um, she's the one that, uh, Tammy Peterson. She called us, and she goes, hey, do you guys need anything? She goes, I'm at Winco, across 
and Namba across the uh, thing. And I says, yes, I need you. And she came up and helped me pick up all the stuff and just amazes me. And then how many people would come and visit? And my wife, when after she was done, I mean, a lot of times she, she was there, but they had her sedated to an extent a little bit. She always says, you know, those people came for you, not for me. And uh, I see how the Lord works in all things and how he really touches us and helps us out. So tender. He really does use each other. It, it, it's all of his children touching each other, serving each other, loving each other that helps us get through mortality. Oh, it does. And in our toughest moments, those people who show up, we, we remember them forever. Yeah. And sometimes people ask me, what do you do? I have a friend whose father passed away. I don't know if I should go over or not go over. You always go over. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to do there, but you've got to show up in that moment because you'll know why once you arrive. But it's sometimes the hardest thing when you're going through a trial and, you, and you're in that moment of, how am I yeah. going to do this? And the Lord always prompts someone and then the call comes, the, the visitor comes. The, yeah, it does. And I'm, I, I mean, I have another story if you'd like on that thing. So they had just created our stake, um, the YSA stake, and President Butler was stake president. And I, my wife was in the hospital in Meridian this time. And it was probably, I want to say, yeah, well, it's Father's Day. It's in May. And uh, I was, and during COVID, I couldn't go in to see my wife in the hospital. And that's about the toughest thing you've ever seen is, and, and uh, she called me and she was saying, I need a blessing. And I go, honey, I don't know. I don't know how, but, and I prayed and prayed and, and uh, I went to Ontario. I was a high councilman there for the YSA and President Butler was there. He goes, hey, how's your wife doing? I says, not good. I go, she'd like a blessing, but I don't know how to do it. And he goes, let me take care of it. And uh, one of the other stake presidency members is a doctor. And he went in, gave my wife a blessing on Father's Day. So it, it truly is. We're all a family. We're all, I, I mean, when people don't understand not being a family, I mean, from a ward family to a stake family uh, to a church family. And the Lord looks after those. He really does. And in talk, I think it was Elder Anderson in conference who talked about as the world, as the church continues to become more and more diverse, we recognize how much alike we are oh. and that you can go anywhere in the world now and feel the sisterhood, the brotherhood with one another, regardless of the color of skin or the accent or the culture or the nationality. Um, we all feel the desire to help each other when we're part of his church. Yes. So great. Um, you had a great question about life and marriage. Oh, yeah. So I know you're a bishop of the YSA ward. Uh, you have running a ranch. You got your family. You're super busy. So I know one question I have, and I know lots of other young adults have, is how do you keep everything balanced with work and family and a busy calling or and all that stuff? How, how do you do it? I I told you this was going to be a hard one to answer, too. <laughs> I would say the way I try to balance it is, I, I mean, you always say you want to put your Savior first, and I try to in my life. Um, but second, I try to put my wife, the one that I love. And uh, and then the rest will work itself out. And, uh, you know, luckily being on a ranch, I've had great in-laws that I work with, great nephews that have helped me that have always allowed me to be able to serve the Lord. 
and I think it's through family. Um, we live on a on a ranch that has roughly four homes on it that each other help each other. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, you don't want to live by family. And I says, well, who's better neighbors to have than your family? I mean, are there squabbles sometimes? Heck yes. That's life. That's us. You know, that's kids. But uh, uh, what better neighbors to have than, than your brother-in-laws, sister-in-laws, and their, their kids um, that have been become our kids, if that makes sense. You went to school with your wife after you got married back to Utah State, where she was from. Well, yeah. Well, she was going to school there. She was going to school yeah. there. That's right. She was from Meridian. Yeah. yeah. Um, you both didn't finish. Why? Um, you know, we were at school probably a year and a half to two years, and both of us got this big prompting for some reason that we were supposed to come back to the Treasure Valley and didn't know why, and we, we moved back, and... Uh, it wasn't long after we moved back, we figured out why. Um, she had an uncle that uh, her, her dad's brother ended up moving here because he needed some help. And uh, he became part of our family. Um, I think four, five, six years, we uh, we would go to movies with him. We'd go out to dinner with him. Usually once, twice, three times a month, we'd check on him. He'd check on us. Um, but for some reason, he needed he needed us and we needed him. Uh, to this day, I don't know how much it taught me, but I know it taught me because uh, I, I try always, as we were talking at the beginning, you know, if you look at people the way the Savior looks at them, um, and the way he feels about them, it will open your heart to them. And I think that is huge, even in the YSA. Um, if we look at each one of these individuals, sometimes it, it, I get these young, young single adults that come in and say, Bishop, I'm broken. I'm just totally down. And you've got to remind them that they are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father and that they have a brother of Jesus Christ that loves them and will always love them and the importance and the value that they are to him and even to ours, to society. And he does love them so much. And he loves them regardless of what they choose to do. And I think that's the love of a parent too. You, you love these children regardless if they wreck the car. Or break their leg by jumping off the barn, doing parkour moves, not just name that child. Or, you know, all the things that happen when you're raising children. But the love never changes. The love stays the same. And, and that is because our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally. He hopes that we make good choices. He hopes that we come unto Him and keep His commandments and do all the things. But the love doesn't change. Oh, not at all. You know, one of the greatest things, too, about being a bishop, I've been a home bishop and where, where AJ was one of my young men and, and worked with a lot of them and now being a YSA bishop uh, is the love that the Savior has for them. But then I, I always wish I could understand the atonement more because I love seeing the atonement work in their lives. And when they finally get that little click of, I am a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father who loves me. And that Christ takes care of everything else. You know, yes, we make mistakes. I make mistakes. You know, um, had a young young lady last night. We were talking about going to the temple, and she goes, I just can't go. I go, well, do you think only perfect people go to the temple? She goes, well, that's not what that other guy said. I says, well, I go, I don't know a perfect person that's ever went to that temple unless Christ himself was in there, you know. And uh, how great these young single adult, adults are to work with. Uh, they, they, they've changed my life. Maybe share what it's like to be a bishop of a young single adult ward. You know, how does it differ from a home ward, and what are you learning from them? 
Oh. Well, I've been a bishop for about three and a half months, so at the YSA. <laughs> so I'm learning a lot right now. And uh, I, I, the difference is night and day to me. Um, you know, you work with a lot of, I'm, I'm going to call them older adults in a home ward. But you also get to, the things I miss from a home ward um, is giving that eight-year-old a interview for baptism. Um, going in and listen to those primary kids sing. But yet then, to change it, and you come to a YSA, and you hear this choir, and they're, they're angels, you know, and you, you feel their testimonies. And you have young men and young women that are, or I should say young single adults, that are, that are some are older, some are younger, and it doesn't matter. I mean, they're, they're a group, and they look after each other. And sometimes that's a little different the way they look after each other than what the home ward looked after each other, if that makes sense. Um, I, there are so many differences. Uh, YSA, um, somebody the other day asked me, so do you have a lot of time now that you're a YSA bishop? And I says, time? <laughs> I go, okay. I go, this this was last week. I go, Monday night, family home evening. Loved it. It was great. Uh, we watched uh, The Elf, the show The Elf, and it was fun. Um, I go, Tuesday night, I go to the Institute and I do interviews and I get to listen to, to President Butler um, and and his wise counsel to these young single adults. I go, I get Wednesday night with my wife, generally. I go, Thursday night, we clean the word building. I go, Friday, I can usually, if I have a family thing, I need to do it on Friday night. And Saturday, we usually try to go to the temple. I says, no, it's, it's, it's way different. I'm way busier. <laughs> But isn't it so fantastic? Oh, it's awesome. And honestly, you know, we talk about, like, the job that I've picked. Um, I work on a ranch and manage this ranch. But it has also given me time. When I need time, I can take the time. Um, the, the Lord's blessed me with, I, I'm going to say some time, especially this time of year, um, when I'm waiting for calves to calve, or cows to calve, I should say. Um, they'll start in February. But, um, yeah, the job I've picked um, as I said, I, I may never be rich, but I have been blessed. And uh, I don't know, even even with scouts. I mean, we tried to give time to our scouts, and it was awesome when we were back in scouts. Miss some of that days when these guys grow up. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't it amazing how the gospel of Jesus Christ stretches us to be something we would never be without it? But this in situations that teach us new skills because of the callings we accept and help us develop into more Christ-like individuals as we see people as he sees them? It's a deep question. <laughs> you know, it brings you to the scriptures when you start thinking and saying stuff like that. I mean, what is our objective here on earth? To gain a body, to gain knowledge, and to return with our Heavenly Father. But there's steps during this, and it is so fun with these young single adults I mean, looking at their own baptism and then trying to get them to a temple and then get them endowed and then get them to, to, to that next step of, of being married. Um, I always told them, I said, you're putting me in as a bishop. I am not going to be a matchmaker. I go, I may say, hey, AJ, that young lady's cute. But, you know, we're there to help them come unto Christ. And what a marvelous thing it is to, to help them in those steps of trying to learn who their Savior is and who and learn who their Heavenly Father is. And um, who they are. Uh, yes. And, and as they learn that, they are going to learn who they are. 
you know, but the importance of the temple. I, I can't, I. Maybe share your testimony of the temple as we conclude today. Um, I honestly don't even know where to start with the temple because that is one of the things every young single adult that I interview, I try to impress the importance of regular temple attendance. Um, sure, a lot of them have problems, and a lot of us have problems, but um, as I said before in here, n no perfect people go. People that have problems go, and the Lord then can work on them to help them with those problems. And the temple is a place where we can become closer to our Heavenly Father um, through steps that He has given us. And that is one of the neatest things. Um, I, I love going to the temple with our young single adults or seeing them work in the temple. Uh, my wife and I were there the, the other night and there was two of my young single adults and they're working in the temple. And to me, there is no more joy than to see them working. Um, this last week, I signed two more up to work in the temple. Uh, just last night, it was another one and the girl came and jumped and gave me a big hug and she goes, now I can work in the temple. And it truly is what it's all about our little piece of heaven on earth right now, uh, the place that we can get closest to our Heavenly Father. Thank you so much. Um, AJ, maybe just as a conclusion today, having been blessed with a leader like this in your life, um, you'll reflect on it your whole life as you are called to lead young men and, and to be a bishop and all the things that are in store for you. Um, what will your takeaway be? Because you've known Bishop Zabel, Hopefully someday I can grow up to be like him. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think like uh, how one of the things I learned from uh, Ron growing up is that, you know, you can, I want, I want to try to put this in the right way. Like you can have it all at once. If that makes sense. Like you can work, have fun uh, and grow and uh, have, there's, there's, and have, spiritual experiences everywhere like like you can ha you can get it all in one place if you uh, can build the environment for it you know like uh, there's there's always room for uh, the gospel in everything that you do whether it's uh, going up camping whether it's sitting in uh, your classes during the day or uh, whether you're out digging ditches or doing your work or whatever like there's always room um, for the savior and you can have fun and still uh, if you be with the savior you can sometimes things get hard there's still room for the savior and everything that you do thank you both for being here today